0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 227. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Rent the Runway. Rent the Runway has a new program called Unlimited and it is totally up my alley. In fact, when I visualize my future life with my home, partner, and yes, a closet where I can have more than just a suitcase worth of clothing, This unlimited program is completely aligned with everything I stand behind as I have incorporated all the things I basically learned from living on such a micro wardrobe. I love getting new things, but I don't like having very many things. And this is where unlimited is perfect. For a flat monthly price, you can rent unlimited designer pieces on rotation. You get to pick three pieces at a time and keep them for as long or short as you want. And once you're ready for something new, because you're bored or ready to try something different, swap out any of the styles for fresh pieces. And if you fall in love with one style, you can buy it at an exclusive discount and keep it forever. So it's kind of a way to test drive your clothes before making the investment. Plus they have free shipping and dry cleaning on every single piece. If you wanna give this a try, I can also give you a 25% discount off of your first month. Go over to renttherunway.com unlimited and then enter the code lively at checkout. I'm seriously super jealous that you guys get to try this before I get to because I don't have a closet or an address to ship this to I can't try it myself yet, but this is so perfect and I'm so excited to hear how you like it before I get to try it myself. Also, just so you guys know, this offer with the lively code discount for 25% off is valid through December 31st, 2017. Okay, today, guys, I am speaking to you from London, and I am doing a fun conversation that is coming kind of out of a request that hasn't directly been asked, but I've been getting so many emails from listeners saying that they wish they could find more friends in their areas to have these kind of high consciousness conversations with. And one thing I thought is, as I've been traveling, I have been making friends that are into this high vibe, conscious living way of being. And I thought it would be fun for me to record one of those conversations with a friend so that you guys can enjoy and listen in and basically become a part of our trio to be able to be friends with us and hear what we're talking about that we would normally be talking about over dinner or having drinks or just hanging out at Faze's house. Yes, today I am speaking with Faze Nazarelli. Faze is the husband of Jessica Nazarelli, another friend of mine, and Faze and I have become soul brother, soul sister, as we like to call it. We have so much in common when it comes to all things, high vibe and consciousness side of things. And we also are good friends with Faze's business partner, Dan, who is more into the science side. So Faze has his interests more focused on the spirituality and the more I guess I would say spirituality and less scientific in terms of the quantum mechanics side of things. FaZe is definitely interested in healthy living, higher consciousness, sacred geometry, things around spirituality or religions that may be interpreted in a new way now. That's definitely FaZe's interest. And our friend Dan is very into the science behind quantum mechanics. So I think we'll be having conversations with both guys so you guys can hear two different slants or two different conversations around this higher consciousness through friends. You guys get to, like I said, live vicariously or live along with us in this conversation as friends talking about things that are new and fun and exciting for us. Let's go to the show. Faze, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Yes, it's a pleasure.
0: All right. So I love hanging out with you and I'm so excited for everyone to get to meet you as well. Before we dive into just chatting, let's start with how you got to where you are.
1: So I got to where I am by always looking for another avenue to do things and always looking for kind of like a shortcut. When I was younger and I was in school, I never liked reading the books that we were reading in school. So I'd always like look at the notes and I'd always like ask other kids what was happening and just find out what was in the book by like everything except for the book itself. And I've used that method in life as well. Like, you know, when, when there's a topic or when there's an area that I'm interested in, I always think about how to find out all the details without actually going down the normal path.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Initially, it was always to find shortcuts and find faster ways of doing things. But I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that the shorter, faster ways isn't always the best way. So sometimes I even look at like the longer way or the the non-traditional routes and at least bringing them into my awareness, not always taking them is somewhat of a good strategy, I find.
0: So let's also let people know where are you from? I mean, you've got a kind of interesting background as well because you're right now in Sydney, but that's not where you started.
1: Yes, I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. My parents are Indian, but they grew up in East Africa. So my grandparents are from India. My parents grew up in East Africa. Um, my grandfather actually went to Africa for opportunity and jumped on a cargo ship and was on there for like a month. And then he was apart from my grandmother for like five years. So a cool story that went back. And then I was born in Canada and then moved to Australia when I was 20 to finish my university degree in business of which I finished. And then I met my wife in university and or college, as you say, in the States. And 11 years later, here I am in Sydney.
0: Yes. Are you 30 or 31 right now? 31. Okay, so you have done an excessive amount of stuff by 31 as well. You, as I have told you, and I'll tell now other people listening to this as well, you remind me of Alex Icon so much in terms of personality, point of view, and even kind of style and just tall, lean (laughs) men that are into very high vibe things. So could you kind of share the trajectory that you've had in your career? Because I think it's pretty unusual to have gotten as much accomplished as you have so far and especially in the way that you've done it.
1: That's funny. When you say that, it feels really nice, but I still feel like there's so much to do, which I think is a good thing. I think all entrepreneurs feel that on some level. But yeah, it's been super interesting. Like When I first came to Australia, I was on a student visa, which prohibited me from working in a certain place for more than three months. And because of that, I was forced to start my own company. And since doing that, it forced me to think differently, to set up my finances differently. To look at how I approach work differently instead of clocking hours, I was actually delivering results and focusing on the, the actual deliverables on hand. And because of that outlook, I've been able to really structure my life in a non-traditional way. So I'm able to live remotely. Jess and I did traveling for the last two and a half years. We did five round the world trips, went to all of the places that were kind of on the bucket list. Still have a few places left, but I went to Greece, Italy, Spain, which were the places in Europe I really wanted to spend some time in. Went to New York and kind of lived there for a little while for like six weeks and one month spread out went to San Francisco and I really wanted to join the VC game and and kind of have a startup. So I did that and it it wasn't necessarily a huge success, but I consider it a success because I met a lot of people along the way that I still refer to now. I went and pitched VCs in Silicon Valley, which was kind of fun. And yeah, I've been able to do a lot of different things because of the way I've structured my life, I guess.
0: Yes. And it didn't it all start with sales. Didn't you do sales for a company and you get so successful you were making more than the CEO at one point?
1: Yeah. So in my last job, I used to be a professional poker player and you can take that with a grain of salt because I was still in university and I wasn't living the same life I'm living now. But that's how I used to make money when I was in university and college. And after finishing college, I kind of built a spreadsheet and showed my parents, look how much money I'm making playing poker. It's not worth it for me to get a job. And for, you know, the first month or two, they were kind of like, hmm, this is interesting. But then after several months, they were like, hmm, like we didn't put you through university so you could play poker and gamble is what they said. So they forced me to get a job, essentially. And I was like, I'm not going to settle for a job I don't like. I'm only going to work where, you know, I'm I'm kind of motivated and I'm enjoying the work. So it literally took me like seven or eight months to find the right job. And I went through like dozens of interviews, so many different interviews. And I realized I wanted to be in technology and I wanted to be in sales because I love dealing with people and I didn't want to be sitting behind a desk all day. So I ended up working as a business development manager for an IT company. And in year one, it was a little bit shaky. Like I was just getting my bearings and I wasn't really qualified, I guess you'd say, for the job itself. So I was still getting qualified and understanding the different technology stacks. And we were essentially selling cloud computing and data centers. And all the technology that sits around that, which was mostly Microsoft stack and Citrix stack for all of you techies listening. And in doing that, you know, I, I learned a lot along the way and I, I started building relationships in years two, three and four. I sequentially grew, you know, over 100 percent of my target year on year. And in my last year, I did like four times my target pretty much.
0: And why do you think that is?
1: Again, it was kind of doing the non-traditional route. So I hired my own virtual assistants on Upwork and Elance to support me in getting leads and to do like different tasks that I wasn't able to get done so I could be more efficient. And I structured my workday so I was having most of my meetings in the mornings and right after lunch so that people weren't hungry when they were actually meeting with me. Because I saw some research early on that people who have low glucose levels actually make irritable decisions. Whereas people who have eaten before making decisions are much much more likely to make the right decision or much more likely to be softer or, or more compassionate in their decision making process. So just like little things like that, I would kind of toy with. And because I genuinely love people and I like to help people, I would never try to sell anyone anything that they didn't need. So I would always focus on an opportunity or an extra value add when I was putting together proposals. And I think that energy itself is what makes things sell.
0: Yeah. By the way, you still stop my brain early on when you're like, yeah, I started hiring out people to help me with the lead generation. How many people are thinking in their jobs that they may have about how they could then create, basically, it's almost like you're creating a company for yourself to support yourself as the CEO of that role. I mean, that's just incredible.
1: Yeah, it was a bit funny because it it happened very, it, it was a little bit of a fluke because Jess, my wife, was working in her own business and she was hiring people and I saw the types of tasks people were doing and I was like, hmm, like in my job I have these tasks that I don't really, you know, have time for or necessarily would like to do. They're lower leverage, but they still need to get done. So how do I get those done? And I just started outsourcing them by proxy.
0: That's incredible. Do you think that's something other people can do or is that also like legally not always possible? What do you think? Is that like wrong? I don't know. I guess everyone would have to take this with a grain of salt for their own situation. But is it more possible than you think it might be for other people too?
1: Yeah, it it depends on the role, of course. But if you're in a role where you have a high number of tasks coming in and you're making a reasonably, uh, you know, like a decent amount of money, so above average salary, you're able to definitely use arbitrage and claw some of your time back. I was doing it because it was directly like I was commission based so I knew if I could get more sales or or get more meetings essentially that it would result in more so I was optimizing it that way but I definitely think that in any job or any business you can find those low level tasks or usually they're at it starts at admin tasks and then it works its way up from there. So research, you know, any sort of minute taking in meetings. So what I would do is I would send them my Evernotes from my meetings and they would just like take the audio and, and turn it into notes. And I would use that to send back to the client to recount the meetings. That was a simple one that I did. But there was several other ones that I would do is like just put together a list of competitors for a specific client. And then I would look at what they did and what they were building their technology on and give customers' reference points. And when you tell customers what their competitors are doing, it makes them know that you understand them more as a company. So different things like that I did. But in terms of outsourcing something when you're working a job, I definitely think there's things that you can outsource.
0: What an incredible way of looking at life. Now, how have you translated this into the business you have now? Because you haven't even actually shared what your current focus is entrepreneurially.
1: Yeah. So I'm working on several different projects and I guess that's a good thing and a bad thing. I have a little bit of a shiny object syndrome when it comes to working on projects. I love doing so many different things and I look at it, you know, aligned with Richard Branson, someone who works on lots of different projects, but just understands how to strategically partition them and and enjoy all of them together rather than just working on one big company like, you know, a la Steve Jobs, for example. So right now, my two main projects that I'm working on are a Facebook ad agency, and we specialize in in helping people with conscious offers and humanity plus companies get more reach and get more customers. And then the other project that I'm really focused on is my wife, Jessica Nazrali's business, which is It Girl Academy, and attached to that is It Girl Foundation. So It Girl Academy is, is essentially a digital academy online targeting uh, a female demographic. And It Girl Foundation is an education initiative helping women in third world countries find work online.
0: Which is amazing. I learned a little bit about that. I'm sure people might be curious. Would you mind sharing briefly about the foundation?
1: Yeah, so... In third world countries, a lot of them are not even online yet. So if you look at Internet usage, there's about seven plus billion people in the world and only three billion have Internet access. So that's actually going to change in the next. I think 2020 is the estimated date where six billion will be online. So pretty much half the world's population are not online yet and they will be coming online in the next three years. So that said, 70% of women in the world are in poverty or below the poverty line, so to speak. So that's a pretty crazy figure. When I learned that, I was like a little bit shocked. Um, And for men, it's not as high because men are usually the breadwinners and the ones who do the hard labor and stuff like that. And women tend to look after the families, especially in third world countries. So our goal is really to empower these women, to give them work. and even a lot of the women that we employ in our businesses, they work from home and they have families and stuff like that. And I really respect that because there's a lot of different tasks they can do and they don't necessarily need to be sitting at a desk for six hours. They can do a task for half an hour and then go back to their day and then come back for half an hour or an hour and go back to their day and still make a decent amount of money. So for example, there's services like Fiverr or like, like Upwork where they could even make people's Instagram images, something silly like that and make five bucks an hour. And that actually changes their life. That, fundamentally changes like, everything else in their life because they have enough resource to now feed themselves and think about something more than the next meal.
0: That's amazing. And So you're helping them do that how?
1: So we're giving them the skills they need to find work online. So it could be something like I just mentioned, like something like creating images for someone and just learning what apps to use to do that. It could be understanding how to communicate with people when you're dealing with them in a freelancer scenario. It's taking a random course that we would refer to to learn a specialized skill. So it could be like understanding how to use audio software to edit audio or learn like Audacity, for example, which is open source. So a lot of these softwares that are available are really easily accessible and sometimes free that they could use and they could get on board and start doing tasks.
0: Okay, so you guys are showing them and directing them to those types of places so that they know what to do.
1: Yes, exactly. So we're curating a lot of content and we're creating it as well.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so now let's move on to our fun conversations that you and I love to have whenever we're hanging out in Sydney with Jess doing whatever we like to do, which we actually had to even coin a term for this at one point. I don't remember. How did we come up with high vibe?
1: So we both follow Esther Hicks and Abraham Hicks's work, and we both kind of nerd out to that stuff, and it's all about raising the vibration, right? So it's become a bit of a verb that we say, oh, that's high vibe, or that's not high vibe, or we're high vibing when we're doing something fun that's really high vibe, and it becomes a, like, it's a little bit of an inside joke, but it's something that gives us both a lot of pleasure, It makes us both smile in in cool ways. So that's how I'd put it.
0: Yeah, that's really a great point. Yeah, it's so fun. And I've been using the word I've noticed myself in the last few episodes say new age. And I really don't like new age. I think new age is older people, actually. And I think that the high vibe seems, at least for us in our little trio that we have going, like a little term that we like to use. Okay, so what high vibe stuff are you into right now? You sent me some topics. So I'm just going to kind of throw them at you and then let's see where this heads. So you wanted to start talking about water first, which I'm glad because I know I have shifted my approach to water since knowing you, actually. But I know you've been into water much more than I have. So tell me what you want to talk about.
1: Yeah. So I originally got into water when I saw The Secret and I saw that study around the, the crystal molecules changing when you had positive messages wrapped around them or when you were having positive messages vocally said around them and stuff like that. And I, I thought that was amazing. I was like blown away when I saw that. So I started looking to it deeper and I looked into it from a health perspective. And I really found that water is not all equal. Like there's so many different types of water and the water that comes out of the tap is not always the best water to be consuming. And I grew up drinking tap water thinking that it was fine. And a lot of people told me that, oh, it's actually better for your immune system to get exposed to a little bit of bugs and stuff like that. And, you know, I kind of went with it. I didn't really care at the time. But as I got older and my wife is really into health and we actually started a health business, I started looking into the stuff a lot deeper and realized that, yeah, there's, there's different types of water. And water is actually one of the most important nutritional elements we all consume. And it's so abundant everywhere. And it's a little bit ironic that despite being so abundant, the availability of high quality water to consume is not as much abundant and you have to look hard for it sometimes.
0: Okay, so this is also true because I know you have your plastic alkaline jug in your house that you guys love so much. What got you the alkaline water and why? Because I I know when I saw you guys have it, I was like, this is cool and very high vibe, <laughs> but also it seemed a little bit like you were saying like, well, I'm just used to the tap and it's got to be good enough. But now that I've watched that Secret of Water documentary, I'm totally changed now. But when I first saw it, I thought. Is that overkill? Why do you guys import your water? (laughs) Why does it make you so happy?
1: So we get four big bottles delivered every three weeks, which is about 60 liters of water. And we use it in our tea. We use it in our cooking and we use it to drink water. I live in Sydney, Australia. So the, the nicest water that we have access to is from the Blue Mountains, which is kind of like naturally volcanic rock that water gets filtered through, which gives it trace elements. And this would be considered living water to a lot of the crazy hippies out there. And it also does not contain fluoride, which is actually not good for you to consume in water. That's one of the big misconceptions. A lot of people think fluoride's good for you, but actually as an element to consume in water is not good for you. Uh, fluoride is something that your body naturally produces as a result of a chemical reaction, but it calcifies your pineal gland.
0: And why do people put it in the water then? Is it for the teeth of children or something?
1: So I looked into this a little bit, and there's a lot of information out there, but apparently it was uh, the big aluminum companies had a byproduct from the creation process, and that byproduct was fluoride, and they had bundles and bundles of it. So because they knew fluoride was part of your teeth, they assumed that consuming it would be good for you. And I'm assuming that their intentions were good here, but they essentially went to the water sources and said, why don't we sell it to you so you can include it in your water?
0: So they're just making money off of it? Pretty much. Wow. Okay. So living water for the hippie, like you said, the crazy hippies out there. Well, you got to call me one, I guess, because having watched the Secret of Water documentary on Gaia, which I'm sure you and I all start talking about Gaia and FM TV at some point in this conversation, but they're basically, we call them, what do we call them? Hippie Netflix?
1: Yeah. Hippie Netflix. Yeah. It's pretty much a subscription where all the shows are like conscious programs and non-traditional TV, but still really cool.
0: Yeah. Very high vibe. (laughs) Okay. So one of them I watched and I kept telling you guys about it as I was watching it. I think I was watching it at A-Fest, right? So I'd watch like five minutes at a night and then I'd learn like all these new things and then come back and tell you guys. Well, one of the pieces of it was this story of this area in Venezuela that people believe was the source or start of water, the birthplace of water within the indigenous cultures. And it was in a very high plateau. And so for some reason, some Russian scientists decided to go capture this water and study it that is from this source. So they go up there. It takes them like five days to get up there. No humans ever go up to this huge plateau. It's super hard to get to. Really a arduous trek to get there. And it's very high up and it's very near the clouds and there's a lot of waterfalls. So it's very clear as you start to learn and you watch the video programming about showing them going up to this place that it would make sense why an indigenous culture would say this is where water begins, because it's so high up, no one's ever around it. It's a place where water does have this untouched potential that comes straight from the clouds right there. And then it comes down, down, down to where the humans are. So they go up there and they they capture it. And then they take it back to St. Petersburg. And they look at the water through the curling effect. Are you familiar with the curling effect? No, I'm not. Okay, so it's kind of I am not the scientist here. Basically, they'll do something with it looks like some kind of either electricity or photography or maybe both, but it shows they are able to capture the photons emitted from a food or your fingertips or an animal, the photon emission of that substance, whatever it is. So it's kind of like uh, what you'll see if you look at a picture of it, for example, is light or these like blue streaks coming out of from like a piece of food that they photographed or your fingertip or whatever you're seeing light which is energy emitted from the thing that they're setting so it's like kind of a black slide with a dark image of whatever the thing is that they're capturing but around the outside of it, it's almost like this halo effect that is the photons coming out so they did this with the water of tap water that we're drinking normally, and the water from this source, and they did it, and they found it wasn't just one, two, three, ten, a hundred times more light emitted, it was forty thousand times more energy and light emitted from this water from this place in Venezuela than the stuff that we're drinking day to day. forty thousand times they said it, at that level it's not even the same substance it's like that is so different. and then they talked about the life. the deadness or aliveness of water in this way. And then they started showing, well, what's the difference between that water and why is it 40,000 times less energetic with what we're consuming? And then they went into all of these things about, one of the things that was the most mind-bending for me, and talk about openness, guys. When you watch this, this is like you really gotta keep your mind open because you're not used to thinking about water from A, the idea that not that water is conscious in the way that we're conscious and it's going to meditate like we do, but just, just imagine it has feeling in some capacity, some capacity. Well, they started showing that imagining water normally works through circular change. So it's swirling like a hurricane swirls or rivers and, and little springs will have all of these parts where there's this circular nature happening as it kind of bubbles down it's never in straight paths
1: even waves are kind of circular as well
0: yeah right there's always this churning happening well when we take water and just assume it's a substance that doesn't have any aliveness to it or any of this energy to it and we think that it's always stable that that 40,000 times energy is going to stay there no matter what we do to the water that's obviously not true because it's 40,000 times less by the time we drink it but the forcing that we do with pipes going and pushing it in straight lines and then right angles apparently is like kind of the way they showed it. I had to start thinking about this kind of like a car. If I was a car going 60 miles an hour and then I hit a wall and I had to turn on a right angle, like that would be if I had any type of feeling if I was water. I guess that would be pretty traumatic to be constantly shaken in these unnatural ways. But they think that that's part of what hurts the energy of the water. And it's also obviously the closed system that we're having. So the municipal water systems recycling in the water and the, the chemicals that go into that and how it's retreated and how it's not actually getting back into a natural source before we consume it again, they think also has a part to do with that. But what are your thoughts on all of that that I just shared?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's profound. It's it's really amazing. You just reminded me of something. So David Wolf once said, when I met him in Sydney, he he told me that waste should not go into water. So the fact that we put our feces and our urine inside the water source is unlike any other animal in history. And we should not be doing that. So that's pretty crazy as well, because water is all connected. And the fact that we're putting it into the water source and then, you know, drinking from the same water source, not necessarily in the same bucket, but still that it it kind of does interact on some level is a bit crazy.
0: Yeah. So Also, they say plastic bottles aren't great for water, too, and the lines in them versus smooth surfaces and glass. So I don't know. Go watch The Secret of Water, guys. It's on Gaia.com. And I think there is even some free way of getting Gaia for a period of time. So you could just watch it. I'm sure you could probably try to find some almost freer a dollar a month kind of way to see it if you want to. It's not the best production quality. Definitely you feel like you're watching kind of like a 90s science video, but the content itself is so good that I didn't even care and I kind of liked it for not being as flashy as what we're used to watching anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it takes a different type of patience to get through the first 10 minutes until you get hooked.
0: Wait, did you watch it?
1: No, no, no. I'm just talking about in general, those types of programs. I know what you mean. I haven't watched that one yet. I was actually, that's why it was the first topic because I wanted you to fill me in on it.
0: Oh my gosh, I could keep going on and on. But yeah, the Emoto studies with that water crystal stuff, I've now been thinking a lot about how food has so much water in it as well, and just recognizing that blessing food might actually be in some way, I don't know, but could that potentially change the water crystal structure like you were talking about earlier?
1: Yeah, I believe it can. So I believe sending healing energy and sending messages to your food before eating it or and your water as well is definitely a positive thing. And it definitely can't hurt. And I think even if it's just a placebo effect, it will definitely offer you something. But also having messages written on water, which is proven to change the molecular structure on some level is really cool. So I actually have glasses that have Fibonacci codes inside them around love and harmony and, and positive messages. And even if it's just making me feel better on some level, you know, I'm good with that. But I do think it actually changes the water as well.
0: Wait, what's a Fibonacci code? That sounds like the Da Vinci code. <laughs>
1: So Fibonacci is essentially a type of pattern. And if you go to Wikipedia, you'll see a lot about it. It's it's quite in-depth. There's lots of different numerical systems that come from it as well. But essentially, there's a pattern for love and harmony and, and a bunch of different positive messages. And there's just a, a pattern that goes with it that carries some energy. So it came in those glasses. And I was like, this is awesome. It was the coolest glasses, water glasses I found.
0: Those are some high vibe glasses.
1: Yeah, very high vibe.
0: Okay. And also, you know, what's interesting about this, we can get down to it when we talk about foods, but I'll also say that the other day in Lisbon, it was a few weeks ago, I was working on changing all of my subconscious beliefs around food and especially the foods that I found as quote unquote good foods for me or bad foods for me, especially after the hormone thing and this whole last year of learning about gluten-free dairy for all that stuff. This goes back to this whole blessing of the foods thing. That's what I'm going to go back to. So as I was doing this work and redefining within my subconscious what foods meant to me, the woman that I was working with asked me to reflect on all the moments that I fed my body nutritious, delicious foods and how good it felt to do so. And as I was sitting there with my mind, you know, watching my body with my eyes closed, I actually, what I opposite of that. What I felt was how much emotion of worry I had been consuming when I'd been eating in the last year because I had these conflicting beliefs. I have the one belief that was gluten is bad for my system or it's sensitive to it and all these foods I'm sensitive to for hormone issues. But then there was another part of me that was like, no, I believe that I don't want to have these sensitivities and I don't want to be paranoid about these foods. So there was kind of this conflict there. But every time I'd eat, whether I was eating something or especially whenever I would make a choice to eat something with gluten or dairy in it, I would also be consuming at a deeper level than I was actively aware of. I was feeding myself the emotion of worry. Now when you say feeding yourself, I'm feeling worried as I'm eating the food at a level that's not conscious, but at the subconscious. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And that's a that's a huge level of awareness. Like, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because there's a lot of shame and guilt around what we consume, even our thoughts, what we eat, what we drink and having that negative connotation or that fear or uneasiness is actually not a good thing. So the information serves you when you understand about better options. But even when you don't have the better options, you should still feel like, you know, something is better than nothing in a lot of cases.
0: Yeah, and so when you're blessing the food, right? So let's say that these glasses or that the blessings of the food may not be as in depth or as long or whatever it would to actually change the water structure itself. Let's just say we can't do that. Even if you're blessing the food and you're feeling gratitude and appreciation as an emotion as you're consuming the food, can we not also recognize how powerful that is? Because in cases like I was so many times this last year, I was actually feeding myself the feeling of worry instead of appreciation.
1: Yeah, that's a great habit to have is to to swap that around and make it so it's a positive experience.
0: Yeah. So let's move on now. You want to talk about music or you're going to talk about Abundant Sounds?
1: Yeah, let's talk about music. So yeah, you're joking because yeah, Abundant Sounds is one of the brands I want to launch eventually and create high vibe music that really uplifts people. And there's different types of musical patterns that actually result in someone feeling good. So there's songs with a higher pitch generally carry a higher vibration And when we were in Amsterdam, actually, one of our friends, the guy who leads up the the video team for Mindvalley, Kuhan, he was telling us about the circle of fifths, which is a, a specific type of chord structure where if you go from one chord to the next, it creates a positive movement. And there's a whole kind of system around that as well.
0: All right. So how do we find that kind of music?
1: So, for example, if you listen to Pharrell's song, Happy... That's a very happy song. And one of the reasons is because of the pitch and because of the kind of energetic sounds that happen. And if you listen to another song like Adele's Someone Like You, that's a little bit sad because of the the pitch actually goes down. So finding music that makes you feel like motivated and excited, excited is one of the best feelings I love with music, excited is a really good one, but also relaxed and not subdued relaxed, but relaxed on like a, a positive inflection. And then also there's different types of music that you can loop and that will kind of, you know, get you in the zone as well. So more focused energy.
0: Is there a playlist you can share with people or a list of things we could put phases high vibe playlists out there so people can go check out what you like to listen to?
1: Yeah, so one of my favorites is Majestic Casual. They became famous on YouTube, but you can find them on Spotify on most of the platforms. Uh, another one is Goten Project. They're really, really good. Another one I like is Cafe Del Mar. There's so many. I'll give two more. And another one is Thievery Corporation. Uh, And the last one is the Ibiza Sunset playlist on Spotify. That's my favorite playlist. I listen to that every morning in the shower.
0: Okay, we'll put those in the show notes. So if you guys want to go listen to these, for sure, go do that. And also, I shared one with you I was really proud of, the Goldfish Band, based out of Cape Town.
1: Yes, yes. Goldfish are amazing. They're such a cool group and they bring together the global music as well. So they have some African beats and some different type of Spanish beats that they put in their music, but it's also quite uplifting and melodical. I like it a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm very, very sensitive now to a lot of different things in terms of their energies. And you're right. Music makes such a difference. The energy of the music can truly make a difference. And also, I find that, like you said about, like, it doesn't always have to be exciting music. Sometimes it could be that kind of calm, chilled, laid back style, too. You got to, like, find the frequency that's close to where you are at that time. And then, yeah, sometimes when you're not feeling good, you want to go listen to that Adele song. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I do like that song too. Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, I love it. Okay, any other thoughts on music?
1: Yeah, so speed also affects the vibration. So you know, it's also the the vibration that you're in or the vibration you want to get to. If you want to slow down, listening to songs with a slower beat that are positive are really good. And you know, the opposite is true as well. If you want to kind of get things cranking and get things moving faster, faster music's good. That affects the vibration, and also the words affect the vibration. So you want to be listening to to music that has a lot of positive words instead of negative words.
0: Yeah, I've been watching Dane Maxwell as a friend of mine, and uh, he's been going into and pursuing a music career. And it's fun to listen to him on Spotify because he's someone that's very high vibe as well. And he's working those thoughts into his lyrics very deliberately. So it's really cool to see someone that's bringing that consciousness into their music as they're creating it with their lyrics and everything too.
1: That's really interesting. I should have a look at that.
0: Yeah. Okay, how about people? What's the story on people? (laughs)
1: yeah yeah, let's t- chat about people just in general. So people can lift you up in a big way. People can make you laugh. People can inspire you. People can you know respect you, encourage you. And then conversely, people can you know people who complain all the time can really bring you down. People who are ego driven can really take you off your own agendas and into theirs, and people can also drain you. So you have to be careful. You know when I was younger, I was you know I used to hang out with a lot of people because of circumstance you know, a lot of family members, a lot of like just friends from school. And as I grew older and older, I kind of shook more and more of that off. And then when I moved to Australia and I really had to set up a new framework of friendships, I realized how many old friendships, like when I went back to Canada, I realized how many old friendships were there just because of complacency or because of, you know, the fact that we met at at, in the same room together and we just stayed friends for the sake of it kind of thing. It wasn't because they were lifting me up or or inspiring me. It was, you know, quite the opposite. That They were actually bringing me backwards if I was hanging out with them more. Um, So I I had to go through a process where I did some spring cleaning with my friendships. And, you know, like, you know, I I still love and respect some of the people that I don't interact with as much, but I just found that we didn't jive and we weren't aligned. Um, And now I'm very, very conscious about the people I bring into my life, into my home and the people that I hang out with and do business with, because I want people to be raising my vibration. And... I, in turn, want to be raising their vibration. It goes both ways.
0: Okay, so how do you do that? Well, let's look at, pretend you didn't leave Canada, because I get this a lot in the Q&A episodes that I do. People ask me, how do you deal with negative people or family members and coworkers and that kind of thing? So let's pretend you didn't leave and get to start fresh. What would you do or tell Faze, still in Canada, if he was wondering how to deal with relationships in this way?
1: Yeah, so... I would look at all your friendships and pick out the best ones. Pick out the ones that really light you up, that are aligned with your future self as well as your present self. And you might not have these, but it's good to take inventory first, right? So just understand your top friendships and what the merits are behind those. And then look at what type of friends you'd like to have and kind of visualize those types of friends. And a lot of the time, you'll end up meeting people because you're putting that out there and you'll end up meeting people who fall under the category of the people you know, that you want to attract into your life because you're more conscious of it. So the consciousness makes a big difference. But also in terms of the downside, like the people that are stealing your time and the people who are bringing down your vibe, the people who are complaining a lot, the people who are talking about others a lot, those types of things, those types of conversations don't really help us. And it's very hard to limit it sometimes, especially if it's family members or people or best friends from childhood or people who you're super close to. So I find the best ways are to politely disengage. And a lot of the time, you don't want to, you know, insult people, you just want to kind of pick your own direction. And over time, they'll realize that you're not giving them enough attention and they'll go elsewhere. They'll stop, you know, calling you or texting you or whatever it is. And also just, you know, taking things to different mediums. So if they're calling you a lot, which doesn't happen as much when I was younger, people used to call me all the time. Now people text me more. So it's a little bit easier to manage. But just kind of, you know, limiting those conversations with people who don't raise your vibration and, you know, encouraging those conversations that do like this one right now.
0: Aw. thank you. I know, you guys have already said, you hope that my partner is as uh, jives with our trio as well (laughs) so that hopefully he doesn't bring down the vibe. Well, we'll find out. But okay, so when it comes to people, I know you've also found that Sydney has been feeling a little smaller. You were feeling like you weren't finding as many high vibe friends. And then before we got on the call, you said a lot of things have changed since AFA. So how did you find more people, even in your own recent situation, to connect with on this level?
1: Yeah, so, you know, when we originally spoke about this topic, it was before we went to AFS, and I was feeling like it was probably a month before we were sitting in one of the restaurants that we um, that we love called Mr. Wong. And I was telling you that, oh, I don't get this as much. And, you know, I feel like I'm not social like I used to be. And. I think a lot of that had to do with just being pregnant and both of us not drinking alcohol as much. So we're not socializing as much. But beyond that, it was because I was also not making as much of an effort with the people that I really care about. But after A-Fest, A-Fest was an incredible experience of, you know, so much different collisions of conversations and friendships and love and laughter. And I was so bubbly from it that I think I was I was radiating that energy that I was craving. And when I came back to Sydney, all of a sudden, you know, I was my calendar was full with you know, things to do. And I actually had to like kind of play Tetris and, and figure out a way of doing all these things in my calendar um, to hang out with, you know, a lot of friends that i had, you know lost touch with. Some friends came to town that I didn't expect to come to town. And I'm feeling now that my social life is kind of at a level where I'm very comfortable and happy to play at.
0: Okay. So it sounds like from that, it sounds like people came into your life that don't even live there. So that's pretty cool. You called in and attracted people to come visit for a period of time. So you imported friends. <laughs> And then also, it sounds like you recycled or you resurfaced friends that you hadn't been thinking about in the past.
1: Yeah, totally. So I, I went into my messages and I went into and I started messaging people who I hadn't responded to or that I was, you know, that we didn't kind of connect with for a while and just rekindling those kind of important relationships for me.
0: And those people matched the vibe that you were looking for?
1: And those people match the vibe and those people kind of bring me up and I learn from them. And, you know, we have fun. We we kind of, you know, laugh together. Humor is super important for me. I love laughing. So, yeah, all those things. And it was an area that I was feeling a little bit of a lack in that's come back full swing. And, you know, we're always cycling through these things. But I feel like I'm I'm at a high point in the cycle right now, which is quite good.
0: And also it kind of goes into law of attraction if you think about it. Before when you were at Mr. Wong and you were talking about how it wasn't there, those people you just said were in your life, but you weren't a match for being in that super social space because you're focused on the lack of it. And then after AFES, with having tons of socialness and having that totally filled upness and emanating, I have a ton of friends, you came back and those people suddenly became a part of your reality again. Even though they'd always been there, They hadn't been a match before because you weren't a match before. That's all that changed.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's like the basics as well, right? The basics of law of attraction. And I totally believe that. I was coming from a lack mindset thinking that, oh, because Jess is pregnant or because we're not drinking, I'm not meeting people. But really, even the friends that I hang out with now that I am hanging out with now, I'm not necessarily drinking when I'm hanging out with them. We're still hanging out, even though they might have a drink.
0: Are you still not drinking very much?
1: I had a couple last night, actually. But yeah, I'm not drinking as much as normal.
0: I find it interesting what we had said earlier uh, during a we talked about how we find that drinking is becoming less and less a common thing in a lot of these circles. Are you still thinking that's true?
1: Yeah, it's not as cool as it used to be, right? Like... Drinking, especially when I was in my 20s, I found that it was really the cool thing to do. And, you know, if you said no to a drink, it was kind of very awkward and you're a bit weird for saying no. And you aren't you're kind of like the one in the corner, whereas now it's it's more and more normal where people are going out and going straight edge and still going out into environments where there's there's social and it's evenings and, you know, they're they're at kind of parties, quote unquote, but they're, they're drinking juice or kombucha or, you know, I went to a house party in San Diego and they actually had kombucha on tap and they had a silent disco and they had DJs and they literally had no alcohol at the party. And I'm seeing more and more of that.
0: I think it's really neat. And I even noticed that, especially when you're with high vibe friends that are in a really great energetic place, you really don't need any uppers or downers or anything to just deeply connect with the people and have an awesome time. The alcohol can sometimes be just an enjoyable thing it can still always be that no matter what your energetic vibe is, especially if you're not overdoing it. But also sometimes it can be a way of lowering your vibration to match others' vibrations and enjoy time with them. So sometimes there are certain groups of people that being in that drinking place with them, you're able to match the vibration that they're at. Does that make sense?
1: It totally makes sense. I agree with that as well. Like certain environments and around certain groups of people, I would have more fun having a couple drinks rather than abstaining, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And I've been seeking the ones where it doesn't even matter drinking or not drinking, that those conversations and those times together with those people are fun regardless of whether the social lubricants there or not.
1: That's totally true. I love that word as well.
0: Okay, so any other thoughts on people? I know you're so good at people and so non-reactive. I've watched you in many situations, having been friends with you, and you're just so patient with people. And this isn't even just friends or stuff. This is like the delivery guy that's, you know, taken 15 minutes to try to figure out where we're at and is totally not communicating well with you. Or in so many different situations, you have this ability to be so calm with people. What do you attribute that to?
1: That's a very good insight and question. So I I think I attribute that to not being able to change a lot of situations. So I know if I can't change someone's opinion, or if I can't change someone's lack of communication, or if I can't change uh, someone's mood, then I'll just take it for face value and not judge it. And I'll just roll with it.
0: And also, I love what you do with Jess, by the way, when you guys talk about who cares more when it comes to conflict, how do you handle conflict?
1: Yeah, I love that one. So, I use this with my business partner, I use this with Jess, my wife. I use this with friends as well where you have a disagreement. So, often you'll be close to someone and invariably at some stage you'll have a disagreement and most people argue when it comes to this stage or they'll they'll try and be right and they'll try and, you know, bring up their their points or what have you. The way I like to approach it is I say I pause and I say, "Look, this looks like it's going to carry on for a little while as a as a debate or a discussion." I'm like why don't we just stop it right here and say, who cares more? So if Jess cares more about a particular thing or if I care more, then we let them have like if she cares more, I'll let her have it. I'll say, all right, you win this one. You you get you know, you get to choose which Chinese restaurant we go to. Or, you know, if I care more about which documentary we watch, she'll let me choose. So you can do it for really menial things, but you can also do it for really complex things as well. And usually you will know between the two of you at an honest level who actually cares more and the other person will agree as well. If you have a disagreement, then then, you know, you can get a third party involved or you can do various different things to come to an agreement. But I find that usually wipes out ninety percent of the disagreements that I have.
0: What's an example of a recent one where she won?
1: So with like the times of things, she's like, you know, she wakes up early. I, I tend to kind of to fluctuate with my sleep cycle. So sometimes I'll, I'll sleep in a bit, sometimes I'll wake up early a bit. But lately, she's been setting appointments that we both need to attend together. And, you know, when when she like pushes that a certain time needs to go, I'll like move my calendar around. So that happened a couple of times this week, where she said, Oh, this needs to happen at 3pm. And I'm like, Oh, well, I actually have something and then I just look at her again and say, All right, I'll move it.
0: <laughs> and what's an example when you win? Because I know you don't win as often as she does. <laughs> you usually don't care as much I should say to the things, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. Like, I, I I tend to give in a lot of times. It doesn't bother me. I'm like, I'm happy with both options. With restaurants. So the the last restaurant that we chose was my choice. And that's often a point because Jess is vegan and I eat fish. So I like places like that carry really nice fresh fish, but they don't always have the best vegan options. So we tend to swap around a lot. But the last restaurant we went to, which was Sokyo, we really enjoyed.
0: Okay. All right. So any other thoughts on people?
1: I think that covers it. So yeah, just just to recap... Uh, people who inspire you, people who encourage you and people who make you laugh and and offer you a lot of respect. Those are the kinds of people you want to surround yourselves with, because they're the ones who are going to facilitate a really good environment for you to be your best self.
0: Okay. What's your thoughts on being mindful?
1: Yeah. So, you know, our thoughts all have frequencies and they all kind of carry energy, right? So um, finding thoughts that actually move you and and bring you to a higher place are the thoughts that you want to encourage and create habits of. So looking at beautiful places and appreciating them. So looking at nature and just appreciating it and taking a little bit of time to do that. That's a really powerful one. It's it's really simple, really powerful. Being grateful is another good one. Um, Laughing is one of my favorites. So like if you can find something to laugh at that actually like within seconds you'll feel different. Your whole body feels different just in time knowledge. So like if you're about to do something you go deeper on the knowledge around that task right before doing it that's really nourishing and and really satisfying so like if you're about to go skydiving for example and you're you're reading about skydiving and other people's experiences just so is an example you know i find that that type of information gets absorbed so much better and in a different type of way than just reading about it you know on the couch when you're not planning on skydiving for example listening to guided audios also works really well where you're going on a journey with someone else's voice, and you kind of let go of your own thoughts because you follow that. And then there's something called laughing yoga. I don't know if you've heard of it.
0: Yeah, I tried it not too long ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. so essentially, like, it's just a fancy word for a bunch of people laughing on demand. <laughs> so like, it's like a oh, 123 laugh, and then everyone just laughs their hardest. And literally, after like, just a couple of seconds of this, hearing someone else's laughter and also laughing yourself, your whole body is like tingling, it feels so amazing. Highly recommend it, especially with, you know, your family members and your parents like I do with my mom all the time, especially when like we just catch up and I just hear we say hello and I say, right, let's do five seconds of laughing yoga and we do it together and you just laugh your hardest and it's a bit silly. It's a bit funny, but it sets a bar really high for how the rest of your day or hour or conversation goes
0: yeah actually i did this with my friend jeremiah we tried to do this so we googled on youtube laughing yoga and somehow we found some laughing yoga video but then eventually we found this like eight minute video and i don't know if i could find it again i would just say go online and look for laughing or something like that we ended up finding this video is about eight minutes long and it just showed a ton of different people Laughing And each laugh was so different. Or even I think we found another video that was just funny things you would laugh at. And watching it together was really fun. So sometimes it could even be fun just to find a YouTube video if you're alone and you're not with someone. Finding videos that show funny things or people laughing is another way to try it yourself.
1: I love that. That's cool. And then another one I really like is just looking at beauty. So like you know, even high quality images I use And a little bit of sacred geometry, the shapes that that kind of give you a little bit of satisfaction. But just looking at beauty and appreciating it, you actually taught me that appreciation is a much stronger emotion than gratitude. And I've been super mindful about that. But you know, when I'm looking at things and when I'm trying to get into this higher space, looking at beauty is a big way of doing that.
0: Actually, for those that are wondering what I shared with you, let me clarify for anyone that hasn't heard me talk about that. This is totally Abraham Hicks. So this is what I'm just going to share and repeat from them there's gratitude, and then there's appreciation. Now, technically, they're synonyms. You could easily use them interchangeably. But Abraham Hicks says that vibrationally, they're very different frequencies. So take this with a grain of salt and go with your own intuition on this. But I have found at first, the first few times I heard them talk about this, I kind of didn't get on board. But over time, as I've really thought about it, I have come to see it's true for me. So Gratitude is what we usually hear people say. I talk about being grateful, being gratitude. Well, they say it's kind of like the all over Twist scenario of like, please, sir, I want some more. Like, I don't deserve this thing, but thank you ever so much for giving it to me. But Abraham says, you create your own reality. So when you're acting as though you don't deserve something, but wow, look at how fortunate you are because you happen to kind of get this thing that you didn't maybe necessarily deserve or feel worthy of, that frequency is far lower than appreciation, which doesn't have that kind of sense of a little bit of lack kind of tinged in there. Appreciation also is about growth. So appreciation versus depreciation, when you look at it, even from a financial sense, it's about something increasing rather than decreasing. So when you appreciate something, it's that hashtag you guys may have heard me use a lot on Instagram. And also just it's a It's not even mine, I did not make it up. It's a documentary called Happy Thank You More Please. The idea of when you appreciate something is that you are appreciating and honoring its experience in your life, but you're also recognizing you are the vibrational source of that thing in your life. You have attracted that into your life in whatever way, and that you want more to continue to come in that as at a similar vibration, so you want it to increase. Therefore, happy thank you more please or appreciation just has a better vibration to it than gratitude. Even though we usually say gratitude, meaning appreciation, they just say it's a fine little point, but it does make a difference if it is something you're sensitive to.
1: Yeah, I find with appreciation, it's more indulgent as well. You're indulging more in appreciation while in the act than gratitude.
0: Yeah. And actually, you know what's funny about Abraham and what they say about worthiness? So they talk about whether you deserve or feel worthy. What they say is that people that don't feel worthy or don't feel like they deserve, because of that, they're putting out that vibration that they don't deserve so they don't receive. And the people that do receive do feel worthy because they're receiving it. So it's kind of this chicken or the egg scenario. If you don't feel like you're worthy, you're not going to create a vibration that's going to create that thing in your life. But if you don't have that resistance, you don't have any of those blocks, then of course, those things are coming into your life. So you would never question whether you deserve or are worthy of them.
1: Yeah, that is very interesting.
0: So it's like you create your own reality. And this is why they always say, whether you think the law of attraction works or not, you're right because you're creating your own realities. If you think that you're gonna get a mix of things in your life and you can't really control it, then you're right because you're going to keep putting out a mixed vibration and that's the results you're going to get back. And if you think that you're only going to get positive or only get negative, you'll be right. Like you will create that rightness in your own life because literally you're creating the frequency of what you are receiving. So whatever you expect to receive is what you will receive.
1: Yeah, that's so, so true. I totally believe that.
0: Any other thoughts on thoughts and being mindful? Let's talk about sacred geometry because I know you are into that and I still feel like I don't fully understand it.
1: I wouldn't say that I fully understand it either. I think there's a lot of depth behind it. But essentially, patterns and shapes carry a frequency. And there's certain frequencies and patterns that basically they are energetic blueprints that everything in creation is based on on an atomic level. So on an atomic level, there's certain shapes. Like if you look at anything under a microscope, they're all a collection of certain types of shapes. And often the shapes we see in nature and you know, most like matter under a microscope will look like these different figures of sacred geometry.
0: Okay, and you're just looking at those in your daily life to remind yourself of the wholeness?
1: So someone explained this really well to me. He said that these shapes and images carry a frequency and by looking at them, you tap into that frequency and they're a very high frequency. So by finding the ones that kind of make you feel good, and having them around. So I have one in my office, for example, and I look at it from time to time. And when I look at it, I do feel like it kind of brings me up a bit. And I use it in a meditative state as well. And yeah, they're essentially tools where you can use your visual sense to tap into a frequency by looking at these sacred geometry shapes. The one I have in my office is the Yantra. It's the cosmic Yantra.
0: (laughs) And what does that mean?
1: So the Yantra is a famous shape and essentially, it looks like a T with a whole bunch of triangles that all kind of mesh together. And when you look at it, it kind of, you kind of get lost in it and you feel like it's moving even when it's not moving. And then the cosmic version has even more going on on the outskirts. And what it does is it kind of gets you feeling like the whole image is kind of going in circles and, and moving with you, even when it's a still image.
0: That's awesome. Before we move on to the last two questions, I want to ask, is there anything right now you're currently excited and learning about that is very new to you?
1: Yeah, there's a few things. So one of them is the whole expanding your consciousness economy. Um, I'm reading a book called Stealing Fire by Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler. And it's an amazing book. And it talks about how there's this hidden economy and this hidden kind of revolution around people trying to expand their consciousness and They anticipate it's going to happen in a multitude of ways using technology and using pharmacology and using a whole bunch of things. But one of the the big insights is that our brains are are very, very capable of achieving things in a lot faster times than we currently anticipate. And they talk about how, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the 10,000 hours of being a master. And they're saying that using flow states, you can actually streamline that into, you know, 20 percent of the time or less. And this is from the author of The Rise of Superman. It's a really good book.
0: Cool. Is it changing anything about how you're approaching your life right now?
1: It is in in some ways. I guess I'm already doing a lot of the things that they're talking about. It's reinforcing and it's just making me more excited about studying this area more and, and looking at other ways I can optimize and improve myself.
0: Cool. Well, maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode and talk about the things you're already doing so people can find out what they are and we can go deeper there. Yeah, totally. All right, so what internal doubts or resistance are you currently going through? This is a good question because I feel like, not that you don't ever have these, but I'm curious to know what internal doubts and resistance are you currently going through? Uh, yeah, so this is one that's
1: been going on for a while now. So, you know, social media isn't something that I, I don't post every single day. I still really enjoy connecting with people on social, but I feel like I don't want to, like, I've, I've been traveling a lot. And I feel like if I take too many pictures, it's kind of seen as like, you know, I'm always trying to brag and like show where I'm at. So I've actually purposely like toned that down and felt like I can just enjoy the moment a lot more. So I have this inner conflict where I do want to share and I do want to kind of like you know, you know, take photos and and kind of keep that kind of experience vault on my Instagram. But then another part of me is like, I don't want to be just like always on Instagram, like posting all the time. So that's one of those things that I I have. And it's a little bit silly and funny. But I look at social media as work, especially because I'm so tied to it in a lot of ways. But on, on a personal sense, I'm not as active as maybe I should be because I have this resistance.
0: Gotcha. And what would you tell someone just starting out on this journey?
1: So I would say that the people you surround yourself with are super important to try and bring yourself into environments, people and places that actually raise you, that make you feel like you're your best version. And, you know, when you give, you feel a lot better. So try and contribute as much as possible. You know, giving is the source of all abundance. So, you know, if you want to achieve something, try and find a way to give it first in some sense.
0: What does that look like practically?
1: So... If you want to find something that's really high demand or you want to attain something that's in high demand, it's very competitive. You have to go over and above what everyone else is willing to do. And you should treat every situation like that. So, when you're trying to, you know, meet someone for the first time, you should, you know, open the door for them and smile at them and just, you know, carry yourself in a way that, you know, gives them a really good experience. It comes from the simple senses and then it, you know you can get more intense with it. So like with my business partner, I'm always trying to trying to be on time for things and to set him up for success. So when I know he's going to have a certain meeting on something, I'll kind of give him the information he needs. When I know he's researching something, I'll make sure I send him an article in the same space. Another way that I do that is uh, I don't do this every day. I would like to do it every day, but I do do it regularly is I, I'll put someone's name on a sticky note and put it on my computer and I'll make sure that person I'll do something for them in some way, some act of kindness or contribution without anything in return, like not expecting anything. And I'll try and do that for the important people in my life on a regular basis.
0: Oh, that's so cute. I love that. FaZe, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This is fun.
1: It was awesome. Thanks so much.
0: And there you have it. Faze, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you want to send Faze a message, you can do so over on Instagram at Faze Nazarelli. And just so you guys know, Faze is spelled F-A-I-Z. And if you want to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C, as in cup of tea, lively. And for show notes for this episode, head over to JessLively.com slash Now for where I'm headed to next, I am staying in London. And until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today.